Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that helps you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide a roadmap for that journey. On most Thursdays, I'm blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Normally, the first Thursday of the month, it's Alan Fox. The second Thursday, it's Coach Chuck Reese. And on the uh, third and fourth and occasional fifth Thursdays, usually we rotate every other month with Dr. John Murray on the uh, third Thursday. And uh, either Coach Scott Williams or any energy coach, Linda LeClaire. Uh, you've also been, uh, we are blessed to have many people like Dr. Bryce Young on. Uh, over the last almost four years now, we've had coaches like Nick Saviano, Coach Scott Engie, Coach Ashley Hobson, well, many college coaches and high school coaches, uh, USTA officials, PTR and USPTA executive directors, and the founder of Florida Tennis Magazine, Jim Marks. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen anytime you choose to the broadcast. On Wednesday, Chuck Reese, American Tennis is on. On Sunday, Coach uh, Coach's Corner with Randy Blumenthal uh, is on. And I would also like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're missing out on some useful information. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis. And naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis industry should be going through the high schools and colleges. Who knows, together we may wake up the sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides my our weekly conversation, the Almighty Willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. Who knows? You may read your views on Florida Tennis Magazine uh, in Florida Tennis Magazine or hear them on. Coach Denise Shearer and Tennis Blessings broadcast. It wouldn't be the first time. I understand that everybody's not going to agree with me all the time. I still wonder why, but uh, that's another show. Uh, remember, if someone has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennismagazine.com. Or in between issues, you can also find Jim Marks and my articles as well as other information on the Facebook. That's FL Tennis. You can go there on Facebook. I think we're, well, I know we have a special show today. 
I know I also promised that I would do my commentaries uh, before uh, the broadcast rather than at the end. Uh, I haven't forgotten that, and I will do that. And those of you that are listening understand that I have been doing that. But I did promise uh, today, hang on one second, I think I uh, see Dr. John Murray on now. I uh, I did promise him that I would uh, have him off by uh, 10 minutes after uh, 5. So I'm going to do my commentary uh, after. And, uh, of course, on Saturday I will uh, post it. The reason I was excited about uh, today's broadcast, and I thought it would be good. Let me just make sure. Doctor, are you there? I am definitely here. Good to, good to hear your voice, John. Good to hear you. My commentary was going to be about, which I thought was very thoughtful of you for uh, sharing. As a matter of fact, I have posted uh, your uh, article, and uh, I, uh, I will advise in my commentary after that uh, to how to contact you, because I think the Senate 72 benefits of uh, psychotherapy and sports psychology uh, kinds of fit into the last two uh, commentaries I had, which I won't go into the time of my commentaries, but just to lead in why I what I worry about sometimes and what you and I've had discussions with and I appreciate. Uh, you know, my commentary on October 18th uh, talked about um, the four elements uh, applying, and I'm not going to read them. I will read the commentaries after. But the event, uh, is the, you need that. It's about time. Uh, you need athleticism. And, of course, the two of the four uh, were you need mental uh, is the learning process, which is important, and emotional management. So, it kind of uh, fits right into that uh, a previous commentary I did in the summer. And I suggested that all four elements are needed uh, to shape the athlete's skills. And uh, it's like having a, a stool, and if you don't have all four legs on it, you know, it's not going to hold up under stress and pressure. And, of course, my October 4th commentary uh, address the importance of communications, and I feel one of the problems with high school tennis is we don't have enough time for the communications that is really listening. And looking at your 72 items, which we're not going to be able to get into all of them today, um, but selfishly I see some of them that are just as supportive to the coach as they are to the player, which I'm sure you, the people you work with, or the the business owner, or the uh, other people. So I like to discuss some of them and get your input on uh, you know how to handle those the ones we cover of the 72. Is that good for you? That, that, so, that sounds yeah, that sounds good. 72 is an awful lot, but the truth is. I'm going to eventually come up with a hundred and then I'll um, help people to kind of gr grab a theme. They're going to think I'm crazy coming up with so many ideas like that. But 
truthfully, you know, if you have one of the, just one of those simple ideas going into your tennis lesson or going into a match, it could really help. It could shape you might have. So there's a ton of information in that, that article I wrote. It's brief. and It's, it's kind of summarizing my thoughts about 20 years in practice, what people tend to focus on, what they tend to benefit from. And uh, so I'll let you kind of direct the, the ship here in terms of picking out some of those items and we can kind of discuss them if you want. We can discuss them from a tennis player's perspective, from a coaching perspective, or just an individual that might want to have a little bit healthier life. So you go ahead and let well, me know what you'd like to discuss. Yeah, I think I'd like to address, again, from the coaching end of it, I'm thinking about, you know, this stress and stuff we're on there. Number 18 that you had there is setting specific performance goals uh, that are detailed and uh, that have proper scientific norms. And truthfully, I okay. was thinking one of the books that I've uh, used, Dan Coyle's, I don't know if you read the talent code uh, or not, but he talks about honoring the hard skills. That's tip number 10. And, of course, you're always questioning yourself uh, how much you push, how how stringent should you be? And we're dealing with individuals all the time. So uh, I just, you know, I'm just not smart enough to say this. I'm going to have this is what I'm definitely going to do for everybody because everybody's different. Goals are so important. I think back in the early 2000s, I was fortunate to write a a cover story in Tennis Magazine that was uh, it was like a like a two page centerfold without any without any pictures. Ha ha. But it was a good article. It was a really good article about uh, how we set goals and what's important to know about. And Florida, University of Florida, when I studied goal setting for one of my master's level projects, I realized I was in over my head. There, I mean, there's, there's thousands of studies that have been done over the years. And through much research, we learn what, you know, repeated patterns of what's good and what's not so good for setting goals. So we come up with a set of maybe 10 or 12 principles that are really important. And so that, that, that number 18 is just one example of how science can often drive what we're doing, the knowledge we gain from the research, from the experience of, of being a coach or being a, a researcher, studying these, these goal-setting principles, and then putting them into play. That's what I do a lot in my work is help the coaches or help the players. I guess you want to talk from the coach's perspective, but that's, that's a really good topic. It seems, it seems kind of dry, but it's not. It comes to life when you really think about what you're doing in a specific way. Yeah, I would imagine so, and I and I think uh, you know my limited knowledge of uh, science is that uh, you know as a kid you think that you know this is a fact, and you know is there any truths in science? Uh, you're just uh, you know lead you from one thing into the other thing, and uh, and uh, you know we all are probably justified, I shouldn't, I was going to say guilty, but I don't think we're guilty of it, but we're justified in looking at past history and saying, I like that, and I'm going to continuously do that. Uh, but if you could sit there and support it with scientific, uh, well, I won't call it yeah. facts, or you didn't either. I noticed you called it wisdom, which I like. It seems well, like it would be much better. Well, let's get specific. I'll give you some ideas of what I'm talking about. So we're not just talking theory and abstract. One thing you want to do is you want to be really detailed with your goals. You want to write them down and be really specific. So 
the level of detail can be important to describe exactly what you're trying to accomplish. And you want to make the goals not so much outcome-related, but much more performance-related. So you might have a goal, for example, to approach the net, maybe approaching the net in a particular match uh, 10 times. You might want to change that to 15. That would be an example of a really specific, detailed goal. Get to the net 15 times. And if you accomplish that, you've done your job. That's one example. Another idea would be to set goals with a target date for completion. So we're thinking about getting this accomplished by a particular date and writing it down being really conspicuous. So putting it down on paper, putting it in a place that you can see it, and making sure that you stick to that. And, and then the third thing would be, and these are just a couple ideas, remaining flexible with your goals, not getting so caught up in the goal that you forget the purpose. So if the goal is too easy, you might change it, make it harder. If it's too hard, you might make it a little bit easier to accomplish. So flexibility, detail, specificity, um, those are really important. And then performance goals are, uh, I like to think of performance and process goals. Process is the things you do. Performance is how well you do it. Uh, as probably a lot more important than outcome, like winning and losing and that kind of thing, because it's much more easy to control that, to control what you're doing and how well you do it. Very good. Very good. I'd like to go to number three now. Uh, <clears throat> something dear to my heart. I think uh, I, I, as a society, I don't think we're good listeners uh, anymore. And uh, you have a tree is a great sense of being heard by another human being. Uh, and of course, as again, as a team, with an individual, it's different with a team, you're dealing with that whole group. Uh, and I just often think that, you know, how do you sit there and not interrupt people? How do you sit there and, you know, get them to talk to you? Well, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I've done a lot of the academies and done workshops with groups and so forth, and I can relate. That, you know, I used to coach in my past. In my 20s, I coached tennis around the world. But um, I think it's important that we define the context. If you're in a group setting, certainly there's there's some rules to, you know, be quiet and listen to this, the, the instructor and, and get some things accomplished that way. But also I think it's important to have open office hours or to have some individual time with your students so that they're able to express their individuality and what their unique needs are. So that's one thing that we get a lot of as a sports psychologist or a clinical psychologist. We, Our entire hour is devoted to, to that one person, to being able to hear that person and really, truly, genuinely, hopefully, that's at least my job is to try to really understand and make that person feel that they're, they've been understood. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like the opposite of what we're doing right now, talking on the radio, but um, a lot of times talking less is, is actually a better thing than talking too much when you're working with a, with, a, with a client or a student is to really truly tap into their uniqueness because everybody's so different. That's what makes, that's what makes coaching and what makes psychology so much fun is that people are so completely different. And I think if you can reflect that with your work and not treat everybody like, like a cookie cutter approach, you're going to be a much more, inspiring uh, leader than if you try to make everybody fit into the same mold. I suspect when you evaluate yourself and how you feel session goal and everything, and if uh, you have the person talking much more than you've talking, I'm suspecting that you would consider that a successful hour of time. Am I correct or wrong? 
Yeah, it's, it's funny. Sometimes when I get a, I, I can kind of rate my own sessions and think, my God, that was a terrible session. Or that was a pretty good one. It's kind of funny, but sometimes the less I talk, the better I do. And it's not surprising because you're really tapping more into that person. And um, sometimes you don't say hardly anything. And, and the person says, wow, that was a great session. You're like, what? you think to yourself, what did I do? I didn't do anything. But no, you really, you did by letting that person talk. I think that's so important. That's a, that's a crucial element of any kind of counseling that you might want to think about would be the, the ability to let the, let the person talk and not to judge them and kind of get, get the, uh, the perspective from where they are and how it's different from anybody else on the planet. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think the um, one that is uh, always challenging for coaches especially is reduction of anxiety and worry. Uh, and it's, you know, recently in uh, my commentary I wrote that I felt my generation is part of the problems of today youth, that they're not competing enough, they're not out. And uh, and that's because, you know, I didn't ask my kids to do the things that I did because I was uh, probably too protective when I look back at it yeah. now. You're always concerned yeah. about the safety and, uh, you know, to go across five miles or go caddy like I did when I was 12 years old and where I first learned tennis at a country club where I was caddying. Uh it just, uh, you know, I would never let my kids do that. And yet, and the commentary was about our, uh, you know, playgrounds. We made them safer and everything, but nobody goes to them no more. <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's, it's true. They don't want to go. It's not challenging. So uh, how do we do that, reducing of the anxiety and worry, but at the same time, I think, you know, they have to be out there and they have to, you know, I don't know. Go ahead, doctor. Okay, well, you're right. First of all, if I had to say the number one issue that comes in the door or on the phone, uh, it would be anxiety, would be fear. People have fear all the time. And I think you're right. I think more in the current generations, the later generations, rather than, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and my mom would let us go out, and we'd come back five hours later, you know, for dinner. And there was no fear of anything going on. Uh, Let me shift focus to the treatment for anxiety, which is, which is exposure. If you're having a fear of flying, you're going to overcome that fear of flying by flying. If you're having a fear of losing a tennis match, you've got to play some tournaments. You've got to get out there and play a lot. I I see a lot of players that obviously all these coaches will see the same thing, obviously, is when they don't play enough because they're afraid, you know, of not being ready, but see, they're not really experiencing what they need to experience. And so the treatment for any kind of fear type of behavior would be experience or exposure so that you learn that it's not going to kill you. That sounds simplistic, but there's ways to do it in imagery. There's ways to do it with goal setting. There's ways to do it in coaching to help the player to um, overcome that. And sometimes facing that fear directly is the solution. So doing it in a very subtle way, or it can be a very overt direct way, depending on the situation. That's where I come in as a professional to learn how to, you know, help these people with, with whatever kind of fears they might be having. It can be general fears. It can be specific phobias. It can be, but what the big one you see is pressure. And you see the big one is, is fear of not playing well or not performing well in the big tournament. Yeah. And I guess that would take us to uh, number seven when you talked about gaining confidence and more 
expectations of success. And I think that's part of what we try to do by giving them in, in a tournament so they, they experience the competition. But, you know, you don't want to put them in a tournament that's so high level that they just get wiped out and discouraged and don't come back anymore. So, you know, how do you find that, uh, you know, with the individual? Well, that's a good question. I think one of the things I do, whether we're talking about fear or confidence, is talk about outcome and help them realize that you don't really control winning and losing. I mean, you could play the best match of your life, obviously, and lose, or you could play the worst mass, match and win. So, truly, outcome is controlled about at a, theoretically at about a 48% level. It's about 50-50, and then you've got some chance elements like net cords and bad line calls and maybe a little bit of weather, something like that. The bottom line is you do not control winning and losing. And once you can accept that, that's a big thing. I did that last night with a client on the phone, actually. We talked about that. And then that would help reduce a lot of the fear. Then I have a lot of things I do with confidence. Confidence is slightly different than pure anxiety reduction, but it also helps guard against anxiety. If you think about it, it's almost the opposite thought process, the opposite emotional process. So what I'll do is I'll, again, I borrow a lot from science, hopefully make science come alive, and I'll talk about things like Albert Beer's social learning theory in the 60s and all the different factors he established that were important to supporting. You talk about a four-legged uh, stool. Well, I've got four principles, four ideas that come from Bandura that help promote confidence or what we call, actually more technically, it's called self-efficacy, your ability to be confident in a particular task. So... I like to teach the elements that go into making confidence. So we get into it that way. And then we actually model it through our imagery sessions or through our targeted goal setting for what the student or the client's going to be doing that week. So confidence is real. It's a tool. It's something that you need, just like you need your shoes and you need your racket strung at a certain tension level. You need your grip tape and your towels. You need your water and your whatever else you bring along, your Gatorade. You need your confidence too. And so I see that as an essential absolutely indispensable component to great performance, confidence. Makes sense. Very good. I, I think of the beginning and uh, not as a coach, but as a human being, I look at uh, number 19 and uh, I have to plead guilty to that occasionally too. Uh, is that you have beginning to think and act more rationally and less controlled by impulse or reactivity. I, I think uh, and today, you know, if somebody is obscene or somebody is, you know, way out there, you want to address something. But I, being yeah. a believer in listening, I want to listen to people. I want to, you know, see if I can learn a different perspective on a view. But when I see something that I is just, you know, I'd say no thinking behind, but it's just something being, you know, this is the way you do that. I have to admit that sometimes I open my mouth when I shouldn't. So can we go into that, yeah. uh, you know, some of your things yeah. you would do there? Well, let's let's say that I'm an independent politically, but I think scratching on the Supreme Court door doesn't help. If you, if you want a little slight sense of where I'm coming from, there are there is mob behaviors, regardless of what CNN says. And we, I think the mob behavior in your mind, now let's move back to tennis, sorry, uh, is, is just as destructive. I think the idea that part of the problem with, with what we call psychopathology or mental illness is, 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 is derived from irrationality or, let's say, illogical 
uh, thought processes. Okay, if you think about the New York schools of psychology, the Becks, the Meichenbaums, we talked about cognitive behavioral being the most powerful school of psychology today. And it's, it's been around for a long time. And it came after the behaviorists, but it's what we talk about today when we're, when we're doing therapy. We usually use a cognitive behavioral perspective. And, of course, there's some people that go back to the Freudian psychodynamic approaches, blah, blah, blah. But I tend to be a little bit more direct, a little bit more with the thoughts and behavior. And so one of the underpinnings of mental health or call it tennis success, if you want, would be more rational thinking, processing things in a more constructive way than simply acting as an irrational uh, person that's out of control. So getting some grip with reality, changing some of your negative thought processes, changing some of your negative self-talk, some of the things that you say to yourself that harm yourself in competition and contribute to low self-esteem. And that's the work of a good psychologist. The good sports psychologist will get in there and help. The same way a good tennis coach changes stroke patterns by repeatedly encouraging proper performance, we like to go back into some of the thought patterns and change those with solid therapy. So that's an example of something that I think is central to mental health and to well-being is, is I mean, not being a logical freak where you're kind of stiff. You still got to be creative and you still have to be a, a human being, but not acting ridiculous, not being a mobster, not scratching on Supreme Court walls. Thank you. <laughs> no. I didn't think we'd go there on that, but I, I have to agree with you 100%. And to me, that's one of the challenges. And I, I think uh, if I'm reading what you're saying about, you know, being positive and everything, and that's, you know, there's always that question that a coach has, how much do you push and then when you don't push it. Putting together a team, I, I know as when I had people with the John Denise School of Tennis with me, I tried to bring people in that had different outlooks and things than me, but we thought the same way, but they had different skill levels that I could do. Or when I was coaching the high school teams, I would bring people in. Like I had, I had a women coach with me many times, and I had associates coaches because I just felt that the interaction there was easier for them on some questions. But I often wondered, you know, are you – you know, how do you sit there? You want to be positive. You want to encourage. But when you see somebody isn't producing like you feel they should, they're not giving 100%, uh, you know, are you pushing too much or you're not pushing too much? And uh, I, I guess I don't think I've been ever accused of not pushing too much. But I, in evaluating myself, I do wonder what – uh, individuals, if I push too much, uh, we all have successes we, that are fresh in our minds, but I think of a couple incidents where I considered failures on my part because I didn't think I, the individual became who I thought they could have become. And, and yeah. I don't blame them, I blame me. And how do you sit there and you know get to that measurement? Well, you're, you're raising so many issues. You're raising the issue of motivation. I think it needs to come from the student. And I think the, the, the teacher or the psychologist or the, or the tennis coach has a role in that, trying to help that. But I, I think you can't work harder than your client. You can't work harder than your student. In other words, they've got to come to the court hungry to learn. And if, if for some reason they're being brought to the court you know, at, against their will by their parents or by somebody, you're, you've got to 
that, that might be a time to talk to that person and find out what they're there for. And if they're not going to give a hundred percent effort, if they're not going to listen to you, if they're not going to take your advice and, t- you know, take your instruction, maybe they should be sitting and not, not taking a lesson. And it's kind of similar to my work. Um, that is always my biggest challenge when a client just doesn't seem to, to be there for their own reasons. I, I can think several times in my career, I've had some people referred to me by the courts for anger problems and they're not really there on their own accord. They're there to satisfy some judicial requirement. That's a horrible client in most cases. Um, in the few I've seen that they just don't want to be there. Whereas somebody else who comes in hungry, I just got a new client over in, in India. I won't say which sports I'd rather maintain confidentiality, but one of the tops in the world. And this guy is just so focused and excited about our conversations on the phone. And I mean that, I mean, I'll work the same with anyone, but that makes it work so much better, John, when you have somebody that wants to be there, that wants to learn. So I think maybe some basic work in that area might help you before you get them on the court so that they can treat the, the court as a special place and not abuse your, good time if that makes any sense i think you do need to have standards and i don't i don't think maybe sometimes you were tough and you should have been tough but you, you should excuse me not should not should have been tough so don't don't be so hard on yourself doctor i promise you that i have you out by ted after because i know how important uh where you're going but it looks like we're going to be out 10 minutes early because i think i messed up on the computer and i just heard that we have 60 seconds left so why don't oh those goodness. of you, yeah, so you're going to be out of here earlier, and this show's going to end sooner than I expected. But uh, I do thank you for being on, and with the little time we have left you, uh, I told the people they contact you at www.johnfmurray.com. Uh, would you like to add anything before we go off the air? Yeah, if there's any tennis coaches out there, call me email me. I have an idea for you. We can collaborate some, whether it's on workshops, some other idea I have, please call me or contact me. If you want to get sports psychology as part of your program, we can work together and we can make it good for both of us. Just let me know. Thank you, doctor. By all means, it should be part of your program. I mean, it's just, uh, it's one of those stools. It's, it's actually two of those stools. So you're going to fall off it. That's still a lot easier if you don't have it. Thank you. Tell your Thanks, friends, John. and I look forward to talking with everybody next week. Sorry about the mix-up. Mm. I only put a half an hour up. <laughs>